Welcome to SelfDiscoveryMedia.com, where we discover the communities that are making a difference in the lives of others. Our self-discovery is something we are all making on our life's journey. Here you will find the people that will be your guidance, that will be your inspiration, that will be there for you in support on your journey of life. Do enjoy. Our next show is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Raising Our Gifted Children right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest is Susan Landers. So many babies. What does she mean by that? It's the my life balancing a busy medical career and motherhood. You know, that balancing of being a mother, a working mother, or just a mother in general is always something where you feel you have 20 balls up in the air and how do you catch them? So she said, we're going to discuss today the traumatic life and death of choices many parents face when they're, uh, their sick or premature babies need NICU. And in the United States, nearly half a million babies are born preterm. That means before 38, 37 weeks of pregnancy. They have illnesses, low birth weight, under 5.5 pounds, and multiple twin triplet, a major congenital malformation, or a critical care scenarios were admitted to the NICU. Uh, many of these children receive care and recover for the help of, you're going to have to help me with this word, neo natalists um, neonatologists natologists there we go and other specialists and eventually leave the unit as healthy thriving babies however for other babies who are extremely premature or those with inoperable birth defects there are traumatic stressful times for parents especially the mums who are confronted it confronted with life and death choices for their babies so we're going to be talking about all of that today with so many babies susan Lunders. MD shares the stories of the close relationships that the NICU staff and parents develop during some of the most distressing times of their sick children's lives. In addition, we're going to be looking at her memoir, which how it describes the many practices of natology shaped and influenced her life experience. So many babies, my life balancing babies, medical career and motherhood is due out now. Um, so it's a brand new book. And we're going to be talking about her 35 years as a mother of three of her own children and scribe the full-time practice of um, the work that she does. And uh, the rather distressing, yet hopeful time in 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 a life when you give birth either too soon or to mm. a child with problems my own daughter's just had a baby she was 48 hours in labor it was a nine pound one ounce healthy baby but they expected it to be much smaller and like suddenly there's 33 people in the room kind of giving birth for her um any time that you're going to birth you know it, i know it's so natural because there's trillions of people in the world we've all come in in some form or other but it's still something that can be very precarious and can still go wrong and where is the support you know the mental support the emotional support the financial support and everything else that piles on top of it and of course during this last year of covid it has been an even added trying time so you've seen a lot i imagine my dear and some things wonderful like miracles and other things that you wish you could forget Welcome to the yes. show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's just wonderful to be here and talk about this. I really enjoyed my long career practicing in the NICU. 
<clears throat> a neonatologist is an ICU doctor for babies. Mm -hmm. And so whenever a baby is born premature or with a severe birth defect or baby gets sick mm -hmm. after birth, we step in and take care of those babies in a special intensive care unit. There are ventilators, there are IV fluids, there are special medications, there are lots of well-trained nurses, and it is just like intensive care for mm -hmm. big people, except that the babies are on warming beds mm -hmm. or they're in isolates, incubators. Now, when the birth of a sick child happens, parents are totally overwhelmed. Yes. Everyone goes into the birth of a child anticipating having a healthy full-term baby. When something goes wrong and mom has a preterm birth, she is devastated. Mm -hmm. She's scared. Sometimes she even feels guilty. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad are so overwhelmed, they can barely understand what people are telling them the first few hours and right. days. It can be one of the most stressful times in parents' lives. And some of our tiniest babies are twins and triplets as a result of in vitro fertilization. Some of those kids will stay in the hospital three and four months. That is a long haul for parents. Yes. And so I was privileged to see lots of different kinds of children who were in need of intensive care. I was fortunate to meet lots of parents who gave me strength because they were so brave and courageous themselves. And as a mother, I could associate with those moms and um, understand their feelings. Yes. They were scared or they were confused or they were sad or they got depressed or we had a triumph and everyone was happy and joyful. It's an amazing place to work because we see the gamut of emotions. We really do. Yeah. I mean, obviously, when you see a mom leave with that baby, you know, and it's now it's it's got that fighting chance. It's ready for the world. You mean that must be a hallelujah moment. Um, oh, it's wonderful. It is wonderful. And we have parties to celebrate mm -hmm. going home. And we have neonatal reunions where mom and dad will bring back their child or children. And all of the nurses will be there and we'll all hover around and hug and, and reminisce over how sick they were. And actually, we celebrate our successes. Yes, you it's have to. It's a wonderful, wonderful tradition to celebrate our successes. Yeah. You know, it, it, in, the, in the NICU, even when things are kind of a long haul, like a tiny baby, one or two pounds, when they're a month old, we put up a little banner. When they're two months old, the nurses will have a little party. When they're three months, when they reach their due date, they'll have a little party. So we try to celebrate every milestone that the baby accomplishes while they're there. You know, never mind the, the medical treatment that they're getting, which, you know, today is extraordinary, you know, with the medical treatment that is out there. That celebration and that energetic vibration that is being shared with that child is just as important, isn't it, as the medical it, treatment? It is. And we have gotten a lot better at helping moms and dads be a part of care. Yeah. 
we do skin to skin holding. It's mm-hmm. called kangaroo care, where we'll take the tiny baby or sick baby and put her, him or her, on mother's chest in between, uh, inside her shirt, in uh, you know, above the bra. The baby is wearing nothing but a diaper. We put a blanket over the baby and mom or dad holds this baby for a long period of time, Mm -hmm. one or two hours. And we know that mom gets more oxytocin Mm -hmm. from doing that, higher breast milk production. We know that mom feels better about caring for her very own baby. Dads too love it. And guess what? The babies grow more. Yeah. They have less apnea or breathing pauses just by knowing the presence yes. of their mother. Yes. It's huge. It's, it's bonding. Very the bonding important. time. It's so important, isn't it? It is bonding. Anytime a child is born, that bonding time is extremely important with their parents. But at a time of sickness, when they're in an incubator and maybe hooked up to things, that skin to skin, that connection, that vibrational connection is essential. Otherwise, yes. in many ways, you know, the, the disconnect is that child has lost that window of opportunity to connect right. with, the, with their birth mother. So it's essential that that happens. Rarely they're so sick they can't be held by their mother. And then mom will hold a hand or a yeah. foot, talk to them, sing to them, read to them. So we still encourage parents to connect any way they can depends on the level of severity of the child's illness. Yeah. So, but it is so important. And, you know, do not ever underestimate miracles. I had a wonderful lady, Maria Donati. I interviewed her years and years ago, and she had a one-pound baby. And they told her at that time there was no chance that this child was going to die. And she said, nope. And she held that child for hours and hours and hours. And that child is now nine and rambunctious and healthy Ah, but they had told her to say goodbye and give up and she said i'm not giving up and she said that she literally kind of went in in her mind into the heart pumping the heart and blowing into the ocean she did everything she could and and you know that child is there and but i do imagine there are the times where that is just not going to happen and i think you must be absolutely devastating to hold a child that you have to say goodbye to or that you know it just it wasn't that child's time. Um, devastating for the parents, but how, I mean, I I live with a wonderful old lady who was a nurse, but she had a child die in her arms and she couldn't go back to nursing after that. Aww. So you've got that side of you that needs to be compassionate and loving and caring, but you've got that other side of you that needs to have a little bit of a thick skin, otherwise it's going to get to you. How do you balance that? Well, um, there is more good in the ICU than there is bad. We see more babies thrive and survive and respond to treatment than we do uh, languish Mm. or fail to thrive. Um, Sometimes it takes a while to sort out for a baby what category they're going to be in, especially for the tiniest premature babies. And if we know the parents well, if we've supported mom and dad, if they've bonded with the nursing staff, which is very important, and they trust us, it's easier to convey information Mm -hmm. if things aren't going well. Right. 
Honesty is always the best policy. Mm -hmm. Always. Parents know when things aren't going well. Yes. And so the way that we, the way that I adjusted over the years was to always tell the truth and be compassionate. Yeah. And that does harden you a little bit if you can recognize in those rare situations where things really seem impossible, really are hopeless. But most of the time, things are not hopeless. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, things are going to turn around or going to get better. And we, we anticipate some problems that the baby may have longer term. Mm -hmm. And then our job is to help mom and dad understand what that may mean and begin to cope with that. When your baby is one pound and struggling, um, I had another friend who had, um, I'm not quite sure what the medical terminology is, but her womb was divided in two. Oh yeah. Bifid, bicornate uterus or yeah. So the baby was only one pound when he was born. He's in He's one part of the uterus. One part yeah. of the uterus. So he is now six foot three and about 200 and something pounds. Right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when you're looking at this tiny one, you kind of think, you know, that, that you can never perceive, you know, that they could be the other. And the second child, I think, because the womb had been stretched, you know, went fuller term and w was more weight. But it's, I think that the amount of faith and hope and, belief that this child will make it this child will make it is so important isn't it that it is important it's very important for the parents to have faith to believe in the treatment mm -hmm. to want the pregnancy yeah you know moms who haven't had prenatal care use drugs come in and have a premature baby are clearly ambivalent about having a baby and it's hard to deal with them because they don't they don't act like they really want the baby right but the parents who really want their baby to get well and to thrive are relatively easy to work with mm. if you tell them the truth they usually go through a process of taking some time to accept what's going on yeah to understand what the condition is, whether it's a brain problem or lung problem or kidney problem, and they work through it. There are lots of people in the NICU besides us, the nurses, the social workers, the chaplains, the physical therapists, the respiratory therapists. All of those folks get to know the parents and help the parents deal with the situation. They will all, like at night, if a respiratory therapist is doing chest percussions on a little baby or suctioning them, the therapist might say to the mom, you know, I saw other kids this sick and they made it. Mm -hmm. And so every little comment that we say to parents as a nurse, as a doctor, as a therapist makes a difference and helps them realize their faith and yeah. their dreams. Yeah. What happens to those children of addicts where maybe the parents aren't as diligent? They've had the kid, the kid has a problem, <clears throat> off they go. What happens <clears throat> to those children? Because who's advocating for them? You know, you can only do so much. Everybody's on a shift work and that child needs more of that skin to skin or love or anything because they're, they're really at a disadvantage. What happens right. to them? 
Well, nowadays we're seeing quite a number of babies who are born addicted to opiates. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it used to be heroin and now it's opiates. We're also seeing babies born to moms who use some weed and I don't know if you want to get into a discussion about that. Whether yeah, we don't, is, you know, let's let's address it. Yeah, whether if whether we don't talk about harmful, it, we don't know, right? Yeah, whether weed is harmful or not. But opiates and opiate addiction is bad for a pregnancy, and babies are born addicted to these drugs, and we have to put them on a replacement drug and withdraw them from the opiates. And during that time, the mother may or may not be involved. Maybe there's a grandparent or another family member that we can bring into the picture. Social services are um, employed and there's a caseworker that's assigned to help us decide mm -hmm. whether the baby will go home with mom and be followed by the caseworker or whether the baby goes home with another family member. Mm -hmm. I've seen quite a number go home with grandparents. Right. I've seen plenty go home with mom who gets in a program, a right. pain management program or a methadone program. So there are lots of different ways to skin that cat. But the most important is services, ongoing services for the mom. Mm -hmm. Our withdrawing the baby in the hospital from the meds that mom was addicted to is not as difficult as planning for the baby's care once they go home. Right. That's I guess, um, um, you know, the al alcohol syndrome, you, you see babies born with that. You know, are there some syndromes that, you know, the um, addictions or whatever they're born with that are just so catastrophic or so kind of deep rooted that it's much, much harder to, to recover from? Yes, we used to see brain injury from moms that used a lot of cocaine. Mm. It caused um, little strokes in the brain. Wow. Um, we are seeing some newborn ill effects in moms who are heavy weed users. The babies aren't necessarily premature or in the ICU, but they may have altered sleeping. They may have funny behavior. Um, I think that the jury is still out on whether smoking weed while you're pregnant is okay. Mm. If you take care of babies, I tend to think it's not okay because right. their brain is developing and the marijuana or the right. tetrahydrocannabinoid is affecting the growing brain. Mm. Um, heroin is bad for the developing newborn brain. Opiates probably are too. Mm -hmm. But as long as we withdraw the baby safely off those drugs, those children tend to do okay if they're cared for after they go home. They right. tend to have normal developmental outcomes, surprisingly. Right, yes. So you yeah. catch them in time. Right. We don't see much ill effects from medicines that moms take by prescription, mm. like antidepressants, right. anti-anxiety medicines. Most of those medicines now have very little side effects on the babies. What about and alcohol, though? Alcohol is a big one and a bad one. Most mothers do not confess to heavy alcohol use. Oftentimes we'll suspect something if the baby has some facial features of fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, 
it's not anything you can put your finger on unless right. it's a really severe case. But usually, again, over a period of days or weeks, the staff gets a sense mm. of how the mom is and how the mom acts and how she's bonding and whether it's appropriate. And so we put all that together with how the baby is clinical, clinically to decide what to do going forward. Right. Yeah. Um there's something about a newborn, isn't there? I mean, I've had three myself and I just had the grandson. And there's just something about this little human being. And, and you know, everything about them is like this at this point. You know, uh, And it can't help who you are, but the heartstrings are going to be tugged on. Right. And as much as it must be sorrowful to kind of see a child demise, um, but, you know, being so connected to that life source of that child, when you know before they go home yes it's great they come back and there's a light but is there the danger of becoming so attached to a child that you're working with that when it goes it's actually can be really heartbreaking it is it is heartbreaking some children after three or five or seven months we lose Mm -hmm. We, you know, they, they have severe lung disease or they have a brain injury or they've had multiple infections and we think we can pull them out and we can't. It is very difficult. And over the years, I have grown to allow myself to get close enough to the parents mm -hmm. to be able to sit with them while the baby's dying, to be able to talk or touch or cry and stay with them during the period of time that the baby is either being removed from life support or are already off and try to be part of that process and to be a rock for them while they begin to experience their grief. Mm -hmm. I don't know if my presence helps but a lot of mothers have told me that it helps. Yeah, that supports. And then we'll that. call them after the death or passing of a baby and we'll ask how they are. They want to talk. Mm -hmm. You know, maternal grief is not our problem, right. except that we have to help people experience it. We have to help the parents, parents go through the process. Mm -hmm. But it is something that I think is rather sacred to, yes. to um, experience with a couple. I, one of my very first experiences, I talk about it in the book, is a couple who were young. They had a 22-week gestation little boy. This was back in the 1980s before our results were very good. They did not want the baby to be supported on the ventilator. They wanted the baby to be taken off and just give him comfort care. And that was a very hard decision for them. One of my partners disagreed with their choice. I thought that they were making a reasonable choice because we did not have any 22 weekers in the previous two years that either survived or had a decent outcome. So I ended up taking the case to the hospital ethics committee uh, which consisted of a pediatrician, a chaplain, a parent of a disabled child, another critical care doctor, and they all heard the case and the parent's position. 
that committee voted unanimously to allow those parents mm -hmm. to remove their baby from the ventilator. And I sat with that, the, that couple for three hours while that baby died because I wanted them to know that what they were doing was within their right mm -hmm. and that it would probably be the hardest thing they would ever do as parents. Mm -hmm. And I am convinced that what they did was painful, but loving. Yes. But what about you? <laughs> you know, what's the effect on you? I had preterm labor at 25 weeks gestation when I was a first time mom. My son almost delivered early. I was in the hospital for several weeks on medicines, you know, that jazz you up, but stop premature labor. And then I was given some Valium to settle down nerves. <laughs> Roller coaster. Um, my son was delivered only one month early. I did get to go home. But I'll tell you, the time that I spent in the hospital taught me how much helplessness mm. moms of a sick baby or a premature baby feel. And I always told that story to moms who were mm -hmm. trying to figure out what was going on. They were trying to figure out, why is this so stressful? Stressful. Yeah. What's going on? Why, why can't I manage this? I said, this is the worst thing you're ever going to go through. That's your baby. You're terrified and you feel helpless because we're doing everything. Right. And yes. so for me, it was a great opportunity to, to talk to them empathetically. I know Late. how you feel. Yes. This feels horrible. Mm -hmm. And so I would always get kind of emotional and say, yeah, this really sucks. I'm really sad you have to go through this, but you will be surprised how strong you are. Right. And the majority of them find their strength they use their faith mm -hmm. they use their support system their husband and their family and they manage to get through it right i mean we're all a lot stronger than we than we think we are and you know there is no kind of rhyme or reason why a child would only come into your life for a moment and go mm. but there, there's um you know, there's always that soul contract, right? And there's always a reason behind it, even if we don't understand it. But relatability, you know, when the best teachers are those that have gone through it. So right. when people can say, I've been there, I've done that, you yes. know, um, I understand where you're coming from. You know, even, never mind the, the fear and everything. There's got to be the anger in there as well. Right. You know, right. why is this happening to my baby? And and sometimes it could be an accident that has happened that has brought the baby on earlier. And, um, we have to allow people to go through that gamut of emotion because otherwise right. if it bottles up, it can break them down. Right. I have heard a bunch of nurses saying recently that they were surprised at how much guilt the mothers felt. Yeah. And I, I was really taken by that. I said, really? Because they don't tell the doctors much that they feel guilty. So they tell us at the bedside. Yeah. They feel like they caused this situation. I said, mm -hmm. well, that is so sad because most of preterm births are not for a particular reason. Most of them just happen. Yeah. Certainly some happen because of high blood pressure or ruptured membranes or twins or triplets. And so for the mothers to feel guilty is really very sad 
because it's their notion of I should be strong. I should have a healthy yeah. full-term baby. What's wrong with me? What did why I do wrong? Yeah. Why couldn't I make <laughs> yeah. this pregnancy work? And I'll say to them, I remember feeling that way. Mm -hmm. I remember feeling like a pitiful excuse for a pregnant mom. Why, why was I in the hospital with preterm labor? Right. I did everything right. So it really did help me a lot to have gone through that experience and to say, this really feels really bad. I know how you feel, yeah. but yeah. you're stronger than you think. And, and then you had two normal births after that. I did. I had two girls after my son. So. Right. So, you know, this also shows this is doesn't have to be every time. You know, I have right. my, the doctors used to say to me, you're allergic to pregnancy. You know, <laughs> I mean, I was like sick as a dog everything you know like the babies were just like piranhas taking everything out of me and my labors were horrific in fact with my son i went into a coma um th there were 20 minutes of, with the um forceps bringing him out they actually broke the forceps bringing him out he was in complete distress stool all over him and his face absolutely panicked they let me say hello and then whipped him away from me right you know right. Um, because of the distress that he was over and um, you, you always as a mother go, yeah, but what if I'd done things differently? And you mm -hmm. can't help that. It's part of that mother thing that comes out there. And that's where that support is needed from the outside. You know, right. it's like, it's, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just, it's just what happens sometimes. Right. Um, exactly. And I know with my third child, I went to a different doctor and he said, your C-section. I'm not touching you after I've read the file on the last one. <laughs> so, right. um, but my, as I said, my daughter's just had a baby and she would say to me, you know, like, mom, we were only getting one hour sleep and this and that. How did you manage it with three? And I said, quite simply, I forgot. I don't remember. And, you know, this is the thing with babies, right, is that once you've got through the initial trauma or the exhaustion and this and that, you so get caught up into a routine, you forget the other stuff. You know, it's, it's no longer, you haven't got time for it. So, so I imagine for a lot of parents that finally get to take their kid home. And now that, you know, there is that miracle in front of them. It's all about the navigating those sleepless nights, the feeds right, and right. everything the else. The normal stuff. The normal stuff that the you kind of forget what you've just stuff. been through. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, there is one thing that's happening nowadays in the NICU that is really wonderful for the mothers of sick babies. And that is that we have learned that feeding babies mother's own milk, mm -hmm. pumped human milk is the best thing on the planet for that baby. Yeah. Even the little ones, they grow well when we fortify the milk, they have uh, protection against infections, but best of all, mom is doing something that we yes. can't do. Right. And we stand there and say, this is liquid gold. Yeah. You're giving the best treatment by expressing your milk. And we feed it, a, you know, with a dropper or a tube until the baby's big enough to learn to breastfeed. And those mothers then feel like, mm. yeah, I am doing something yes. important. This yes. is my baby. Yes. I I am contributing and I say, look, this kid's doubled her birth weight and all she got fed was your milk. Right. Think about it. Yes. And they go, wow, yeah. Yeah. So it's huge. Yeah. And now we have good fortifiers 
And now we know a little bit more about how to safely feed tiny premature babies. So we're not so quick to rush in with formula anymore. Right. Yeah, my, my, my poor daughter, um, she very traumatic afterwards, um, kidneys that collapsed and all sorts of things. And she wasn't producing a lot of milk, you know, and she was just persisting, but had to go on the formula. Well, he's at the 97 percentile now. <laughs> he's a little bruiser. All right. Yeah, and, and it's like, you know, I, I'm a big breasted woman. So when I hold him, he looks as a no hope there, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I was fortunate enough to, to, to breastfeed the kids. And, and, but there's just that, there's also that um, sense of bonding, you know, there's nothing like it. You know, you can't really describe it and you can't describe it to a man for sure. You know, of what that breastfeeding, that holding that child does. Um, yes. It's, um, it's, and that was like what I found different than holding my grandson. When you hold your own child, there's a chemical reaction. And you just didn't think you could ever love that much. Right. right? And then when you hold your grandson, there's just a, that, not that reaction. It was just a wonderful sense of peace. Yes. You know? And it's a, and you're looking at these miracles and, you know, I think if we could stop and remember the miracles of birth, and truly understand what a miracle it is. Would we be so quick to, to dismiss life? You know, it's, no, uh, you know, it kind of makes you think. That, but, you know, when you have, I mean, giving birth, there's a lot of moaning and groaning and, and you know, a lot of hustle and bustle and machines and everything else. It's a noisy affair. And, and it's, it's painful. It's definitely right. painful. Right. But it's, you know, when you talked about the deaf side of it is, is we celebrate life. But what we don't do is honor death. And if we could give the same respect to death as we do to life, you know, it would, I think, change the dynamics quite a bit. You know, we're getting better at it. Yeah. Neonatal palliative care is coming into its own. And what I mean by that is some of these tiniest babies or sickest children, infants born with severe birth defects that are inoperable. Some of those kids are living for months right? because we've got the support, the ventilator, the medicines, the lines and tubes, but they're not going to thrive and they're not going to survive. Mm. And so we have a period of time to give the parents to adjust to the notion that we're not going anywhere. Right. We start talking about the realistic outcome which is dying and we're getting better at helping parents provide comfort care not always resuscitating not always right. ventilating not always doing everything and allowing the parents to just enjoy their child just enjoy gone. their baby when the baby is comfortable right but not turned into a pincushion. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that moms asked me that was always the most difficult question was, why would God allow this to happen? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just my little baby. I'm just a regular little mom. Why would God do this to me? I said, honey, I don't say honey, but mm. I would think to them because they're sweethearts and honeys. God didn't do this to you. The prematurity, the disease did this to your baby. Mm -hmm. This is a really bad thing that happens. And nobody knows why this happens. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows why your child was chosen 
to die of this disease at three days or at five days or at five months. And what you've gone through and being this child's mother is still precious. Yes. It's a gift to that soul, how forever long that soul is there. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself almost ministering to people when they were at the process of allowing death to take, take hold allowing their baby to die of their disease. Mm -hmm. And so we're getting better at doing that. We're getting better at talking about who's not going to live and making plans for how we want our infants to be supported while they're dying. We do that for old people. We've always done it for old people. We're beginning to do it for babies it's you know we don't want it like alive one moment death the next and it's a shock that transition you're you've prepared so many months of this baby growing inside of you to give birth and now you know that this child is only going to be here for a short period of time you want you want that you still want that love bondage you still want to honor that sweet little life forever long it's here and you want to honor its death its transition over um if you don't help a parent do that it, it's that severing, that cutting of the cord never heals, right? right. They, they, you know, they, they, you see parents break up and all sorts of things because of the death of that child, however young. By honoring that process, it gives them closure. It allows them to grieve properly. And it also allows them to also embrace life again. Uh, but it, if you do it abruptly and, and, and cruelly, then you're going to end up with trauma on the other side that may never heal. Right. I am impressed that you know all of this, (laughs) having not worked in a NICU. (laughs) You figured it out because what you just said is on target. It is so crucial that we help people deal with death and dying in a way that will process in a way that they can process in a healthy manner and get some closure yeah it is so crucial it's it's a it's a crucial to their well-being later and also to ever having another child um you know because obviously if, if it's your first child and this has happened you know, you're fearful of having another child, of it happening again, or is there something wrong with my manufacturing process? And, you know, and the fear steps in and that causes the anxiety and the anxiety can weaken the immune system. And it could be detrimental to either even getting pregnant or to the pregnancy. So, you know, that, that closure of that transition and saying that doesn't mean it's going to happen again. And, you know, and that hope that you can have another child you mm-hmm. need to give that hope to people, but you can't if they're still in anguish. Right, right. Or it is blame. very difficult. And you know, another trend that I think is healthy is the birth of perinatal psychiatry. Mm, yeah. Mothers who have um, fought through postpartum depression, mothers who have had neonatal or fetal loss are finding help in talking with the perinatal psychiatrist. This is, these are people I believe who most of them are women and they understand what that process of being pregnant, wanting a baby, having a baby is really like. 
And I, from what I read and what I can tell on social media, women who go through IVF, women who have complicated pregnancies are actually finding some comfort in working with perinatal psychiatrists. I've been very impressed with that growing field. We've, we've got to remember something. The chemistry of our own body has been changed quite considerably. You've gone through a trauma, right? And now everybody's expecting you to snap out of it and just go about normal. And everything in your body has been disconglobulated. Right. You know, the, the brain is being thrown out of sequence. Um, the programming of, you know, get over it or this or that is there and, and you don't buy into that program. The anguish is still there, the chemistry in your body. And, and we start seeing dis-ease happen because of that unfinished business or care and we have to bring that equilibrium back to people mind heart body and soul right. in order for them to be then at that center in order to move forward to into another productive life but if that is off kilt and the pee and we know we know that anybody that's in postnatal um uh, Everybody puts it down. Oh, you're just tired. You're just tired. And we don't see the anguish. We don't see the struggle. We, we don't see the disconnect with the child. And right. they don't recognize it as depression. Uh, well, or they people, start blaming themselves. People are beginning to talk about, especially on social media, mm. the signs and symptoms of, of postpartum depression. I am reassured by how many obstetricians and perinatal psychiatrists are trying to educate mothers about those feelings. If you feel like you want to hurt your baby, yeah. pretty much all of us might have that glancing feeling like this kid is driving me crazy. Yes. <laughs> I wish they'd quit crying, but if you really feel like that, that's a problem. If you really feel hopeless, that's a problem. If you can't deal with your child, if you can't take care of yourself, if you're not sleeping at all, if you're a complete zombie, if your breastfeeding is difficult, and if you're having so much trouble and you're blaming yourself, mm. if um, you and your husband aren't together on right. how you're taking care of the baby. Or so many single you know, moms too. If you don't have support. Mm. I cannot imagine how single moms. Yeah. Yeah, But what I'm seeing is an attempt to educate women about the signs of uh, postpartum depression. So they will ask for help. Yeah. They will and, not. And that needs to be done before they give birth, right? Not afterwards, because afterwards they're too in, in the midst of it. But if you've told them beforehand, it's what to the, look for. the seed is there. And right. the question can come up. You know, is this, is this, I need to go and find out rather than right. you're already so deep in it that right. you wouldn't know where to go and look for anything because you feel you're drowning anyway. Yes, yes, exactly. I know that's what's happening, especially with the ones that have had a healthy baby, they're home, they don't have much support, and then something goes wrong with breastfeeding. Yeah. And again, the bonding and the oxytocin and that feedback loop, we don't know exactly how that occurs, but there is a correlation between moms who get postpartum depression and difficulty with breastfeeding. Mm. That's something that makes women feel so bad, 
so inadequate as a mother. It is so difficult. Talk about guilt. Yeah. More moms feel guilt over not being able to breastfeed for some reason, some mechanical reason, that they almost stress themselves out more trying to do it without help. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of that and I'm reading a lot about that on social media. And if you've you've had a, yeah. And if you've had a traumatic birth and it's, you know, there's a few physical things that have gone wrong, it's going to affect your milk. Yes. And now you're getting anxious about the milk. Is the baby getting enough? Is the baby getting enough? You know, what's wrong with me? Well, you know, just just stop a moment, take a breath. Look at, (laughs) look at the birthing effect, right? You know, your body went into distress. Well, that's obviously going to affect your milk. So the more that you calm down and the more you go, okay, I need to allow my body to heal because as my body will heal, the milk will, will come more in, right? And there are just some people that aren't, right? They just aren't designed to have a lot of milk. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And the, the NICU moms, whether she's got a full-term baby who's sick or a little preemie, because they're right there under our noses, and because we have lactation consultants that work in the NICU, we can keep tabs on how they're doing, mm. how much milk supply they have. We can say, oh, you know, your supply is going up. It's perfect. Or you're making great volumes. We can also say, I want you to do some extra kangaroo care, some skin to skin. And you'll be surprised. I've had so many mothers tell me, I did skin to skin four times this weekend and my milk supply is way up. And I went, really? That's great. (laughs) That's wonderful. (laughs) We're on the right track. Yes. Um, What causes jaundice in kids and babies? Uh, It's due to an immature liver, uh, hemoglobin F, that uh, is in the red cells. It causes the red cells to break down more rapidly, a higher blood count, and um, decreased stooling. All of that occurs in the first few days. Mm -hmm. The liver metabolizes bilirubin to a different product, puts it in the gut, and the baby poops it out. Right. So if a baby's not feeding well and not stooling well, if a baby is premature, if a baby has a high hemoglobin level or a big bruise, big bump on his head, a cephalohematoma or lots of bruises other places, then they're going to have a higher red blood cell load presented to the liver that can't handle it. That's how jaundice occurs. Back in my day when my daughter had it, she was virtually a week in, in the incubator under the UV light. Light, right? right. Now, when my daughter's son had it, oh, well, he was at home and it was more milk, more milk, more milk. And they right. cluster cluster the feed him. Because is- of the enteropathic pathway. Right. The more babies eat, the more they stool. And the more they stool, the more bilirubin goes out of the body. Right. So the liver can't do it without the gut working. Right. So why the UV feedings. light then? Because she's 38 now, turning 39 in, in December. So obviously different back then. But what was what was the effect of the UV light as opposed to the, the feeding? The UV light, now we use special blue lights because the wavelength is very narrow and it really gets the bilirubin molecule. It goes through the skin 
and changes the bilirubin into a metabolite that can be excreted in the urine. Ah, okay. So it, it creates something that doesn't require the gut to get rid of it. And the blue lights work beautifully. When I was a resident, we used to do exchange blood transfusions on babies that had jaundice. Now that's very, very rare because mm. the blue light therapy is so effective. Yeah, kind of transfusion on a baby sounds rather scary too. Yes. And because we know more about managing breastfeeding and helping moms get off on the right foot. So, yeah. Um, I remember being in hospital after one of mine was born and there was a mum trying to feed and she was just so anxious. And so I said, okay, well, you know, let's just feed together. Let's just have a talk, just have the baby at the breast. And, Aww. you know, and, it, and we just talked, I think it was my second, maybe third one. So I was a bit more obviously relaxed at this. And we just talked and then, you know, she just kind of automatically held the baby to the breast and the baby started taking the breast and she relaxed but it you know and that's sometimes all you need is there's somebody else who's like you know it's okay you've got this don't don't won't worry so much right. and let's yeah and and then when they when they're out of head the body will take over right 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 yeah maternal support of each other or maternal support, a nurse and a mom yeah. is so crucial in that or a, or a grandmother with yeah. a mother especially mom's mother, more so than dad's mother, yeah. can be so crucial in establishing breastfeeding. Mm. And we know that even in the hospital in the first few days, when moms gather together to support each yeah. other, it's helpful. I mean, we, we really as a species were not intended to take yeah. our baby and to go home just with our husband and do the best you can. Right. That's not how the human species uh evolved we evolved to have people help us take care of our babies the village <laughs> we sleep with our babies yes. we nurse our babies yes. we have people take care of us when yes. we're new moms it is a whole village yes and so what our culture has done is the exact opposite of what we were evolved to take care of when a newborn is brought into the world. So that's where my daughter is at right now because of COVID. She hasn't met any other mums and she moved from cities so she doesn't have anybody there. And fortunately, her husband took the first 10 weeks off and he had godsend. I mean, he was really interactive. Uh, I would go down as much as I can. She's an hour and a half away. He's gone back to work now. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to go down there as much as I can. So if I'm booked up to the end of the month, then I'm going to change my schedule uh, and just simply be there. Let her do some housework or have a shower or this or that, you know, just be that support. But I remember with, we're luckily with, um, especially my second kid, I met my best friend two weeks after my son was born, went to go and get him weighed. She, weighed, she was across the road. Oh, here you are. And oh. our, our three children are best friends. And she's kind of the adopted surrogate mom, aunt, everything. And it's like, you need that. You really do need that. So it's, no, we're not meant to do this alone. And um, it, it is essential that we do find other people that are raising their kids as well, because we learn best when we're having conversations with other mothers. Yes, right? we do. You I know? totally, I totally believe that. I've lived my whole mothering life mm -hmm. that way, asking friends what they think, yes. comparing notes, yes. asking my mother. It's just so important that we don't let ourselves feel isolated. Right. Because that is, you know, that's when things get overwhelmed. 
And the, uh, the other thing, there is no such thing as perfect way. You've just got to navigate the best you can. You're right. not going to get any sleep. Right. You know, um, baby, one moment is sleeping well, the next moment it isn't. Like from going, you know, can't keep up with feeding him. Now he's not eating very much. And I said, look, he's 97 percentile. He's just simply yeah, slowed yeah. down, you right. know, and he's, he wants more of you than he does the bottle right now. Don't panic. You know, when he's hungry, he'll let you know. Um, I do laugh at the millennial parenting now, though, because everything is measured. Sleeps then, poop then, oh. eat that then. I'm just like, we just got on with it. So. Oh. Sleep training? Oh, my yeah. goodness. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, you know, we just, as you said, we slept when the baby slept. You know, we just did whatever with our babies. And uh, I think the more you can do with your baby, the better. Premi, not premi. Right. Um, you know, the more right. we can do. Mine were all late. So they all kind of, yeah. you know, were bored out of me because they were too comfortable. They didn't want to come out. Um, so I was lucky I didn't have any of that. But as I said, I've known friends with, with the premature yeah. babies, one pounders, six foot three now. So it does shows it doesn't matter how you start off. You know, it's it's that care that you get in between, that support you get in between yes. as to whether you're going to have a chance at a, at a good, healthy life. Yes. And this uh, having your mother around to help yeah. and answer questions is good. And having the father is especially good with paternal leaves now are very helpful. Your daughter is so fortunate that you have so much experience and are so willing to help her out. Ah, uh, but don't forget. Mums don't know anything, you know, it's like, <laughs> well, we're going to be on our own, mom, and then you can come down when we're ready. And I, oh. I, I was living in a city. I didn't need a car. And I went and bought a car and just waited. Mom, <laughs> I go down there. I don't say much. I may suggest something now and again, plant a seed, because, of course, right, right. you know, what do we know? <laughs> yeah, my daughter's the same way. And she had difficulty breastfeeding her first one. The baby had a tongue tie. And it took us a while to figure out what was going on. And then she had to go see the pediatric dentist to have it lasered. And then she still had trouble with breastfeeding. And she said, Mom, I just can't make this work. And I right. said, fine, honey, that's okay. You know, it's, it's not always going to work. And I she wasn't said, breastfed. My mom could But neither was I. But she was an exclusive pumper. And she managed to pump her breast milk for 11 months. right for her daughter. And I was so proud of her yeah. because that's way more difficult than breastfeeding. Yes. More yes. equipment, more time. Yes. You're yeah. always pumping. And yeah. then you have bottles on top of that. And it's disconcerting because she's busy pumping and there's that, that much that comes out, you know, <laughs> I like all this time and that's all there is. Yeah. yeah. Well, my daughter had a good supply. She was fortunate, but uh, she did, she was just so timid and I just couldn't say, we need to do more. I just went by ear and yeah. tried to support her in what she wanted to do. And also, I think one of the biggest, we can compare notes, but don't compare the experiences, you know, don't compare, well, my baby does this or I do it this way. No, no, we don't want to hear that. You know, just say, have you tried? This is work right. for me. Or have and that, you heard about? Have yeah. you heard about? Um, and let that person experience it for themselves. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. 
but you know at least they know there was an option there to try something but it, it isn't about well you've got to do it this way and you've got to do it that way because and if it doesn't work they feel worse so we you know we don't want to have a new mum or a mum even of a few kids feel worse Right, right, no. because they, they, they feel they bad enough already. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They give so much weight right. Why on their own shoulders. I know <laughs> they're hormonal. Yes, they're sleepless. Yes, and yes. they're you know they want to cry at the drop of a hat right. because they're really tired, and that's the way it is. Yes, it's normal to feel that way. When you think about it, you know, when we get pregnant, when we have a baby, it's nine months. But really, what you're looking at is a good year of discomfort you know morning sickness baby growing and backache and and, and then and then having the baby and adjusting afterwards because she went through a really hard physical time which she had to battle with for the first few weeks um and then of course you know now you know, the, the baby not sleeping and you know when you get to about that three month mark that's when baby can start kind of setting more into a routine but really you are looking at a year out of your life of everything about you and your body around your body being topsy-turvy exactly. and so give yourself a break right don't be so hard on yourself I agree that's a wonderful attitude and it's so important I don't think we do enough after delivery mm. for moms who have normal full-term babies to support the moms you right. know a six-week check is not enough no. I mean the baby gets checked within a few days and then two weeks and then a month the mom should be checked equally because she's undergoing a literal metamorphosis yes. she's changing into a mom well and with, with with my son who I had the the dreadful um labor with and the the coma and everything else um uh, I didn't realize my iron level was so low Oh. And I only went back, I think, at six weeks or something. Mm -hmm. And I actually apologize for the delivery because what happened is um, they gave me the epidural, but it only took one side of my body. So oh. the other side, I could feel all the accordion and the pain. And I'd already gone yeah. through a coma oh. and, and he was born distressed. We kept losing his heart. You know, the whole thing, 20 minutes pulling him out of the forceps, breaking the forceps. Oh. Uh, I mean, just like you name it, I went through it. And then unfortunately, I had a head nurse there who was very religious, who decided to give me the whatever, clean the room, but didn't clean me. Oh, and, dear. and so I went into a little bit of a shock and everything else. And I apologized to him for my reaction. And he blew his top. He said, what do you mean apologize? He said, you went through hell. You went through hell. What do you mean apologize? I said, well, the nurse didn't. And he said, who was it? She'll never be in that room again. <laughs> but I had to, to go a massive. Well, yeah, thank goodness. But I had to go massive doses of iron pills because my iron had just plummeted completely. And, you know, I know I'm tired because I have one kid and I have a baby and this and that. But, you know, it's just sometimes you do need to see that doctor early because there's those other things that you can't recognize. You just put down to fatigue or, right. they, or maybe I'm not managing it very well. And there could be very, very much um, just a simple reason there Either that you are needing that kind of herbal or whatever support to yes. get your buddy back on track. So don't yes. be afraid to ask for help or call that doctor earlier if you're feeling bad. Yes. I'm worried about millennial moms feeling like they're supposed to know how to do everything. Mm -hmm. 
They're supposed to be yeah. able to do everything on their own. Then That's what, what pediatricians yes. and obstetricians are for. Yeah. They are to answer questions. Lactation consultants can yes. be very helpful. Yeah. I just think that we, our culture has somehow taught them that they're supposed to know what they're doing. Then just YouTube it. <sighs> YouTube it. <laughs> you want to know something? Just YouTube it. You know? Yeah. So I, I here you have a baby. You're yeah. trying to latch your baby and you're watching. <laughs> yeah. <video>. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember I gave them a natural healing book of all sorts of healing type of modality. Oh, no, we don't need that. We just Google it. You know, and it's like, okay, but is the information reliable? <laughs> you know, that's the thing, right? And, and there is too much of this independence. And it's like, no, 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 no. Invite the village to come. Yes, Invite the yes. village to come. You need that. One of the things in the NICU that always bothered me was um, the dad coming in the next morning saying, well, I've read so-and-so. Yeah. So, did you go home and ask Dr. Google about <laughs> the PDA or the IVH or the pneumonia or the ROP? He said, well, yeah, I might have gone and looked something up. I said, do you know what website you got the information from? Was it an educational one? Was it uh, a not-for-profit? Yeah. And we would talk about what he or she had learned and whether or not it was up to date. But this looking everything up on yeah. Dr. Google. Is... I mean, it, it goes it goes for everything. I mean, how many people will look at something up? Oh, I've got cancer. I've got disease. <laughs> I've got this. And it's like, you know, I have I have a fibromyalgia and my there's 31 points to fibromyalgia and the, each one of those points could be also associated with other diseases right 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 yes. so i don't have cancer leukemia and, and god knows what else along with that right so it's at some point you've just got to oh, take a breath you know? <laughs> don't buy into everything because it's very easy to do and then what happens you panic and right. you know, now when you go to a doctor, you can ask one thing and you've got two minutes and all of a sudden you've got 20 yards of information that you want to impose upon them. Which brings up another good point. Whenever young parents are dealing with information, I think one of the strongest pieces of advice we can give them is write it down. Yeah. Go talk to your doctor. Bring a list of your questions. Let us sit down and talk about it because no one can remember everything that is said, whether it's from the physician, the nurse. Yeah. And so I think that parents who take the time to write things down, even if they've gone home to look things up, yeah. are going to be more calm and more accepting of information. Yeah. And I always found that was a very helpful way to get parents to calm down. Wouldn't you also say, because I know everything now automatically goes into the computer. They don't write things down on paper anymore. Wouldn't you even say that actually emailing the doctor your concerns ahead of time? Now, a lot of pediatricians are doing that and a lot of obstetricians are doing that. And I have zero experience mm -hmm with practicing by email. No, but what I mean uh, is like, if you, if the head of the time you send the email of the concerns you're gonna have when you come in, they can look at the file of previous stuff. And when oh, you come oh, in, oh. now they've got the, that information, they've had a chance to compare it to the file. Yes. And they actually know, okay, I see you have a concern with this, don't worry about that. Or gotcha. this, let's address that. So basically that, you're preparing the doctor exactly. 
for the right information instead of just loading it on them. That is probably helpful, but practicing medicine by right. email because Which of the I mean, nuances isn't going to work. I mean, just, you know, during COVID, I mean, um, where I am, there are no doctors. So we're 800 patients short of doctors here and everything is done online. So, you know, it's how do you explain a pain or, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's got very much like that nowadays. And I think yeah. that, uh, well, again, we're losing that personal touch, aren't we? Well, I, one of the best things about my subspecialty was we were at the bedside, we yes. were in the NICU, yes. we would touch the babies, yeah. we would see the parents. It was very personal. Very engaged. There's no way you can practice my specialty no. by telemedicine. It's no. not possible. No. And, and I was fortunate for that because a lot of times you can read people mm. who's sad, who's not, who's yeah. confused, who's getting a little dejected. I mean, you can, you can pick up a lot with yeah. body language yeah. and attitude. And I really enjoyed being up close and personal with the parents. And, and you have some parents that are very proactive. Just tell me what to do. I'm there. I'll yeah, do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, great because you know that you can give them directions and the, they'll follow them. But as you said, you, there is no one stroke, you know, that that covers everybody. Everybody's going to have their own reaction. Um, mm -hmm. It's very genuine, that reaction at that time. They can't fake it. And, and it's just really gauging what it is and what to do with it at the time. So, you know, even though, you know, prenatal doctor, you, you really, this psychology, um, spirituality, and, you know, trauma specialists all roll into one. Right, exactly. The, the, the spiritual service support system, I worked in a Catholic hospital, was so important. And I think even in city, county, public health institutions, having some sort of chaplain services yeah. or having their own pastor come in is so good for the parents, whether it, things are going well or not. Right. I mean, you know, a lot of you millennials today aren't religious, but they are highly spiritual. And so even having, you know, somebody there that spiritually is with that proper energy there for them. It's that outside source, whatever it is, right? It's that support that they need. Exactly. I think the rise of doulas yes. tells about <clears throat> that notion. Moms want somebody to just be there for them during the delivery, yeah. during the labor and delivery. And of course the dad is, but dad usually doesn't know what they're doing. And right. so doulas provide a really great service of emotional support for the mother. Yeah. Now, if the baby's sick, their job stops. Right. With respect to the, the baby, but they are capable of being very supportive of the mother. So I have been impressed with how much support doulas give moms during the birthing process. My daughter had a midwife in the hospital and because she was 48 hours in labor, she went through a few of the midwives. Oh. There, there were several of them on call. Um, and at, at some point it's, nope, you know, you're in distress now, in come the doctors. Oh. And at the time of the actual birth, she said there were 33 oh. people in that room, oh. right? You know, and she just like, they just took her over, you know, completely. Chaos. She like, oh. 
so you know but at that point it was just get it out (laughs) and he was a huge baby so they weren't expecting him to be so big but you know she wanted to do it as natural as possible and peaceful and then it ended up being the epidural and everything else Uh, and that's a lot of that was because they actually didn't gauge the right size of the baby um, they thought he was a much smaller, so they were kind of mm. quite surprised. I would yeah. like to say one word about your daughter's delivery as you tell the story. If she had had that baby at home, mm. we might have lost him. Yes. Home births are coming back in style, mm. and it's very important to caution new moms and dads to about the safety of home births. You have to be low risk. Yeah. No risky health situations, not prematurity, normal labor to have a normal delivery at home. Because you're essentially saying, I'm not going to get any emergency services. If you're at home and something goes wrong and you call the EMT or the fire truck or whoever comes. How long is it going to be? Yeah. It's too long. And so home births are risky when something goes wrong. But now what they're doing, she had a midwife in the hospital. Good. Good. So the midwives worked with her. They realized there was a distress and then could bring in the medical. And I think that is the best of both worlds because you're, it you're, if you're, if it's natural, some people are just really natural, pop them out, there they right, go, right, you know, right. and it's easy, fantastic. But then like for her, she thought she was going to be, I mean, she was healthy. There was no indication of any trouble whatsoever. And, and here you are. So at least she was in the right place. Yes. And that I think is something to consider. You can have your midwife, you can have the, even in many of the places now, they can make the room look, you know, less medical. Right. right. And um, where you can have, you know, you know the, the water birth birthing center, center, right? The birthing yes. center, right. So, you know, it's not like so clinical. Um, but it, at the same time, you know, there's backup there if you need it. Exactly. So important. Yeah. Because I get called in whenever something goes wrong, you know. Right. The baby born with meconium and not breathing and a low heart rate, that's my job then. Yes. I come in and take care of that. You Are you still working? Are you still working? Uh, no, no. I retired about five years back. But you were 35 years in it? I was. Wow. I, was. I mean, kudos to you. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, how many babies have gone home with that chance that they wouldn't have had beforehand? And, and how many parents have you soothed in that crossing over? You know, I in hope that a lot. I hope a lot. In fact, my brother-in-law was seeing a dermatologist just last month and said she did not realize we were related and he said my name and she said do you know dr landers he said yeah she's my sister-in-law and she said she took care of my twins and they just went to college right oh yeah it's a lovely how it all comes around yeah yeah and she was like oh i love that woman she (laughs) took care of my twins So for all the pain that you've seen, also the gratification has to outweigh. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. You know, I wrote the book because I wanted people to understand all of it. Yeah. The the pain and the glory. Yes. And the good outcomes. And I wanted them to understand that the parents actually have so much strength, so much courage, so much faith that 
this was a situation where if anyone gets put into it, it's traumatic. You're right. But most people come out with flying colors. Right. They really do. And it was a specialty that I thought was very intimate. Yes. I got to be a part of a family. I mean, you're not really part of the family, but you kind of feel like you're part of the family. You really are. There at at the the beginning. beginning. Yes. Right. And then you're there for weeks and weeks or several months. And you do feel like at least the auntie or the grandma. (laughs) So it's really quite wonderful to have that experience when things go well. But I think the book serves serves another purpose too. I mean, you know, you're explaining exactly what goes on and what needs to go on. But also for anybody else out there that's decided to go into this world, either as a nurse or a doctor, you know, to really actually understand that, you really have to have the right personality for it. You, the empathy, the caring, but also the knowing when, you know, to hold back or not to not to get too attached, which I imagine is extremely hard, a really fine balance. And, you know, it's like saying to somebody who's a caregiver not to get attached is an oxymoron, but right. how to come back from that attachment and not let it eat your own heart. And there are some people that make great nurses or doctors, but when it comes to that empathy side of things, that patience, that nurturing, that that soothing side of it, it may be not in their nature. And for other people who maybe think they want to go into this world after reading the book and go, you know, no, no, this is where I belong. So oh. you're serving both sides of the table there. Good. Well, thank you for saying that. I hadn't thought of that, but it, it does tell an accurate story of what it's like to work in the NICU. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I don't know if I could do it. I'm a feeler. So I think I'd probably feel too much. However, I am one of those people that does look at death as just a transition. Um, and, it, and it is about um, the people that are left behind and how to support them. But, uh, and, you know, there are some people, as I said, soul contract, they're here only for a, for a short while for some reason. And we may not always understand what that reason is, but it's there for a reason. So, you know, and also to believe that whatever you're going through right now and you know real metaphor for life i'm sure all of those families that have gone through that trauma of the beginning of that life whatever else they had to weather and the storms down the road they know they've got it they know they've got the strength because they've already been there they've already been tested yes and i think that's one of the things we need to look at it where is our strength where's our courage where are our abilities where's our tenacity where's our resilience and when you are tested you discover that and then you know anytime anything else comes up you've got it you can do this you can do this you are exactly right i totally believe that and i totally agree with you <laughs> I, and i tell my children i've always told my children <clears throat> the things in life that are the hardest for you to endure are the ones that will teach you the greatest lessons yes yes and that everything is for a reason you know and that it's also an invitation it's an invitation for us you know inspiration begets invitation but even the traumas and the troubles that you go through it's an invitation Mm -hmm. for you to step up and be more than you thought you could be Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. we've all got that capability inside of us in some way don't sell yourself short right don't sell yourself short so i'm glad you wrote this book i'm glad you've come and shared this story because it is not something that's normal unless you're going through it. Mm-hmm. It is not a conversation that we have. 
it's right. not a mainstream thing. You might see a drama now and again on a medical show, but they dramatize it, you know, and yes, it's a drama, but you have got the happiest stories more than the sad ones. And it's for to let people know really what goes on, how we can then support the people post the trauma when they go home. You know, when they go home and now navigating this, this they've had all your support. Now uh -huh. they're going home and it's like, oh, what do I do with this vulnerable yeah. little thing? And how much support no. they need from their community in, in raising that child and how much of, of a village that we really are. So your book is really showing them that. But again, for anybody who wants to go into this field, to read it, to actually understand what it is that they would be going into. And you, they may have the ability, but do they have the temperament? And most importantly, do they have the heart? Because you can't yes. do what you're doing without heart. No, no. My heart is so big. <laughs> and that's another I, thing for us to understand. But my heart isn't limited. It can grow, 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 grow. Oh, yeah. It's not going to burst. It's not going to burst. <laughs> you think it is, but it's not. It's capable of taking so much. <laughs> right, right. Oh, I just love your attitude. And I love, we think very, um, very much the same about this notion of supporting parents mm -hmm. so that they can take care of their beautiful children and no matter whether they're born premature with a birth defect yeah. or full term it is so hard to care for another human being if you don't know what you're doing and asking for help is normal and well providing... I'm, I'm going to invite you to be a part of something because we're about to do the forgotten children series and uh, it's a series where uh, people like yourself contribute a chapter and it's to raise awareness on our forgotten children. And I'm a firm, 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 firm believer that how we invest in our children when they're young, how we nurture them, how we feed them, how we nourish them is the adults they're going to be. And that yes. our dysfunctional society is many of it of the forgotten children, the voiceless yes. children. And uh, you contributing a chapter on literally the trauma or the difficulties of coming into this world. And I'm also a firm believer that if a child, a child is born of trauma that is not healed as a baby, if that trauma is going to be systemic in them and will come out later. So that healing process has to be there, not only for the right. parent, but for the child's soul as well. well that's exciting. Oh, that's I invite exciting. you to come and be a part of that because this is what it's about. The more we know, the more we can adjust the way we behave, the more that we can become part of that solution. But if we don't talk about it, what do we know what to do? Right. So, yeah, talking about it is very important. Very, very. And our children deserve all that we can give them if we want to have a functional society in the future right so yes yes pay attention to them now how do yes. people get hold of the book my love um it's listed on amazon and if you go to my website susanlandersmd.com you can get a link to the books you can read about me you can get my social media links um, i'm not selling the book on my website but it will take you to where you can buy it. Um, this is very exciting. And I love, I also have a blog where I write things to support parents. Yes. And so if people just visit my website, susanlandersmd.com, they can get lots of information and lots of links to other helpful sources. And you know, whether you're having the baby or you know somebody having the baby, even just knowing how you could support somebody. 
Oh, yes. That is a huge one, right? Again, yes. back to that community. You're on Instagram, Susan Landers, MD, the same with Facebook, the same with um, uh, LinkedIn. Yes. Um, all of it there so twitter the same yeah they're Good all there goodreads uh all about it there so it's this is if you know somebody having a kid right now um or a fab that's going something this is the book if you know somebody that's wanting to go into medicine in any aspect whatsoever in this type of field let them read this book beforehand because you've got to know what you're getting into you've got to know what you're getting into but also however heartbreaking it can be at times how heart serving it is on other times and that just how fulfilling it can be as a career. It's more heart serving mm. and more loving than it is defeating. Yeah. Exactly. There's way more love in the NICU and way more success than there is failure. That's the, you know, despite the medicine and the tubes and everything else without that love there, that child doesn't stand a chance. Right. Right. And that's scientifically proven, folks. Yes, it has. Yeah, <laughs> the it has. love vibration yeah. works. <laughs> right. So it's well, Susan, Susan Landers, L-A-N-D-E-E-R-S-M-D.com. So that's they can find it. everything there. Thank you for writing the book. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for the career that you've had. Oh, thank you. Know, you. Uh, I appreciate your... You know, uh, just so needed. And, and, and I do hope that this inspires other people who you know want to go into this field to, to know the impact that they can have and how important it is but also how encompassing it is they're yes. not just one channel they've got to be multiple right. in order to really serve the the parents the baby the the grief and and the the hope and the heart of it they've just got to know that they you know they've got to have that flexibility to be able to help in on every level right right this has been a wonderful conversation. I just love hearing you talk and am just soaking up all of your knowledge. Right as, back a lay you, person, <laughs> as a lay person, you have as much knowledge as some of our skilled social workers have. My daughter is a social worker. <laughs> I was a spiritual counselor by God's design. Oh, right? so, wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Um, but you know, the thing is, bottom line of it is, uh, yes, Western medicine is fantastic, but when it comes down to it, it's love and support. Love yes, and support. It is. If you can remember that love and support, you're already halfway there with the healing, right? Yes, yes. So you're really, right. You're right. I thank you so much. I'm certainly going to speak to you about that book. And uh, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Until next time, folks, remember there is always hope, there is always a reason. There's always that resilience, but most importantly, there's always the love. Live, let love be that chance. Until next time, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. You will hear many, many shows here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. We have new shows for you out every week. Just find them on our podcast or, or what's new. If you feel that you have something to share that makes a difference in the lives of others, or you too feel that you could be a host, please contact me at info at selfdiscoverymedia.com and we will be glad to speak with you. Have a wonderful day.